0: Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons. I'm your host, Logan Johnson.
1: And I'm your Dungeon Master, Nathaniel Johnson. Welcome to yet another episode of this great show that you are such a big fan of.
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. You know what's special about this episode of Initiative Roll, Nathaniel? We have no hiccups in the recording? That does seem to be the case. Also, I am in my pajamas. I'm sitting at home, in my pajamas. I got a nice cup of water just in case things get a little parched up in this recording sesh and i do have a a plate of chocolate cake that is (laughs) staring me down um really good chocolate cake might i add yo and i have Comstock cherries in my pantry oh man it's it's gonna be a good night tonight uh post podcast there's gonna be an after party (laughs) but (laughs) in the meantime we are gonna be discussing a very uh I would say a different theme than we've discussed. Some of the things we'll talk about tonight we've alluded to a little bit, but our main focus of the night is how to make sure that all of your player characters uh, gel together or mesh together, that they run together well in the campaign. I'm just going to start off by saying I think chocolate cake with Comstock cherries is a very good way to do that. Hey, um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, food. We we didn't write this when we were planning uh, kind of what we were going to talk about in our in our notes, Nathaniel, but I think food actually is a pretty good way to get your player characters all on the same page and, and get them interacting.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, obviously, that means you've got to take into account, like, allergies and food preferences and whatnot. But I mean, you know... Having food there for people to eat is a pretty good way to go.
0: Yeah, speaking generally, every Dungeons & Dragons group I think could benefit from a pizza pool um, <laughs> where everybody just chips in and then the next thing you know there's pizza. Yeah. Uh, I know for our campaign, one of the times we get the most socialization in uh, and actually just chat and get to know each other and catch up a little bit is before we play when we're all eating together. Yeah. Um, so I didn't think about that before, but now... I, that's that's tip of my mind.
1: Yep, and I think it's a super important thing. Moving into the other stuff, though, aside from that, because that's just good advice in general to get along with people. Um, True,
0: always have food.
1: Always have food. Uh, no, uh, I, I have always thought this was weird, or at least I did until relatively recently in my life. Um, growing up, reading some of the older Dungeons & Dragons books, and there would be just chapters written on how to run the game in a way that, like, friendships don't end over the game. And I remember being a 10-year-old and just thinking, but, like, do you really have that bad of a relationship with people that you that you have to have that kind of advice written out? And now, I, I mean, I, I completely agree that you do need that advice written out because it's hard to do with people, particularly when you start having people come to your sessions who are friends of friends and... They might not mm-hmm. deal with all your friends. And so there's a lot of really good advice in there and a lot of really important advice.
0: But yeah, now, correct me if I'm wrong, the fifth edition handbook doesn't include like a miscongeniality section, does it? <laughs> no, it does not con-
1: include a miscongeniality section. and I'm not actually
0: sure what you mean by that. <laughs> Do you know what that? Okay, so in in beauty pageants, man, I never thought I'd have to explain this. In beauty pageants, there is the woman who wins the award miss alabama miss utah miss texas and then there is the woman who doesn't win the award but who everybody just loved because she was so nice to everyone all the time she is miss congeniality oh interesting yeah i as as somebody who outside of beauty pageants has won many air quote miss congeniality awards i'm well qualified to speak on the topic (laughs)
1: fair enough fair enough yeah Yeah, so that's
0: what i mean there's a, a congeniality section in, in the, the old players' handbooks, but I don't think there's one in 5th,
1: right? Um, let me double-check real quick here. I don't think there's one that's obviously called that, but, uh... Let's see...
0: Check, 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 check. Mm, this is my favorite part of the show, when we look stuff up.
1: <laughs> Just makes the best, least crunchiest podcast <laughs> audio. So, there is technically a section for it. It's on page 6 of the Dungeon Master's, uh... Dungeon Master's Guide, but it's not even like a how to help your players. It's like, know your players and know what kind of game they want. Do they want a game where there's a lot of acting, a lot of exploring? Do they want to instigate the action in the world? You know, things like that. And while that is all super important, um, no, there's not like a chapter devoted to it. Uh, In fact, speaking of chapters being devoted to it, 3rd Edition Dungeons & Dragons, they had a lot of supplemental material. Um, Some of it... uh, by Wizards of the Coast, and some of it by other companies that was just officially licensed. And one of the things they had is they had a player's handbook, too, and a Dungeon Master's Guide, too, and, like, seven extra monster manuals. And the Dungeon Master's Guide 2 was essentially all just how to run the table as far as not hurting friends' feelings. Sure. That was the whole book. (laughs) Not the whole book, but it was a significant portion. Right. And I think that it's a valid
0: concern, right? I mean, especially as the dungeon master, uh, it's the worst when uh, a player rolls a bad roll and you're, you shouldn't have to worry about whether or not what you're about to do is going to hurt their friendship. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, it can be a really real concern. Um, more experienced players or, or players who have a little bit more understanding of how the game works understand that things are more fun when things go wrong in a lot of ways, especially if the dungeon master is <laughs> sure. weaving a good narrative. Um but at the same time, there's there's still that concern of like, oh, I don't want to hurt this person. I don't want to offend this person. Right. And
1: also, the other bit of advice is there's there's often players who don't get along with other players. And as the dungeon master, you have that job of somehow making them gel together and helping them work through their issues
0: right right yeah there's there's that responsibility to foster healthy relationships inside of your campaign so i think there's a couple of ways that you can do this um and, okay. and when we first started talking about fostering healthy relationships you brought up a great one nathaniel and that's know who to uninvite uh <laughs> yeah no know, know who shouldn't be seated seated at the table And we don't mean this in necessarily like the most pejorative way. We don't mean like, oh, don't bring Brian. Brian's the worst. We mean um, that what you should be doing is realizing like, hey, if freaking Harry met Sally and then they got together and then they broke up and now they hate each other, don't invite Harry and also Sally. Um, (laughs) Right. Invite one or the other. Yeah. If people have bad blood... Even if they used to have mad love, don't bring them to your Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Uh, Pick one. Pick the other. Um, Maybe, like, say, if they're both interested in playing, just be like... The other thing you can do is just be up front with them and just say, like, hey, look, both y'all want to play. Uh, It puts me in a difficult position because obviously y'all have bad blood, right? Right. And... Almost certainly one of them will step out, or maybe they'll both be really cool and really mature about it, you know? Right. But you should kind of know that going in and, and maybe not try and, and bring in beef to your Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Obviously, <laughs> ideally you want your friends to resolve that, but that's do not, not the try,
1: Do not try to play a um, couples therapist through Dungeons & Dragons for your two friends. Don't do it
0: yeah that I can agree with that. <laughs> uh, because the thing is, it's not this time and it's not the place. Again, obviously, you want your friends to be happy and to like be chill with each other, but Dungeons and Dragons is not what's gonna bond them and make them happy. i I've seen a lot of people get uncomfortable just because of the nature of the game. You know, people do things that maybe aren't the most selfish selfless <laughs> yeah. and it can it can cause problems. But playing games together might not be the best
1: best solution there. So yeah, just
0: know who is in your party and who to uninvite.
1: One of the other things though that we can do here that's a little less serious as, you know, two exes getting together over D and D or not getting together. Don't try that, like we said. But one of the things that is, you know, a legitimate concern is that you can maybe have people of very different play styles. You might want to play with your 10-year-old kid and your three college buddies. <laughs> and that might not be the best. It's my new fa- <laughs> That might not be a good group.
0: <laughs> it's, it's my new favorite ABC series, it, D&D Frat Child. <laughs> That's a bad title. Well, that sounds worse than two and a half men. True. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be like two, two and a half dragons. is essentially where we're at. Um, mine, mine oh, minus Charlie oh, Sheen, no. of course. Um, but yeah, no, you gotta, you I gotta mean, factor in that. I don't see why we shouldn't have Charlie Sheen. <laughs> That's true. Dun- Dungeons and Dragons featuring Charlie Sheen into the dungeon with Charlie Sheen. I'm there for it.
1: Oh gosh. Oh gosh. <laughs>
0: but yeah you no but you you should be aware of this kind of thing right like it don't if you're gonna have charlie sheen well don't invite martin sheen i hear they're not on speaking terms man i think that's
1: slander right I don't, I don't know what their relationship is right now <laughs> i think you might be able to get away with it because you're doing comedy i don't know the <laughs> i mean i think right we now, have so. many
0: listeners who would argue whether or not that was comedy <laughs> But yeah, I think you got to realize that, you know, different people interact differently. Your 10-year-old kids, while it can be fun to have, you know, like if you want to teach your son how to play D&D, that's what our dad did with us. Our youngest brother didn't play yeah. with us at the time. And not because we don't like him. And he's probably he's pretty, pretty cool. No. But he just wasn't really old enough or mature enough to grasp the game. And my dad saw that. We get, we did give him a fake well, character, the equivalent of handing a kid a controller. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when you're playing video <laughs> games. Uh, so, yeah, but you, you just kind of got to be aware of that particular uh, dynamic between players.
1: Right. And, for example, like, I'm sure when my kids are old enough to be interested in really playing d and um, that, for example, you coming over and playing with us wouldn't be a problem because you would be able to adjust to that and have fun with that. But... Getting all of my adult buddies that we play with right now, not that we've run an adult game or anything, like, you know, nothing that we would be uncomfortable with our children hearing or being around, it's just not the same game the kids would want to play. And that does create tension. Yeah, sure. Plus, I mean, we do have the occasional Father
0: Solomon moment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We do have the occasional Steamy Solomon, I believe is what it was. Steamy (laughs) Solomon. (laughs) <laughs> I right, can we brand vegetables,
0: Steamy Solomon? That'll be like the vegetable steam Ooh. pouches that you like cook up. Be right next to Green Giant. No. <laughs> Green Giant and Steamy Solomon. <laughs> so where do we
1: start our campaigns, Logan? How do we how do we do that?
0: Wow, segue of the year. Man, they don't even know why we're talking about where to start our campaigns. Um <laughs> This is something that we did talk about though. Uh starting your campaigns. It, at the right place and at the right time can be very conducive to kicking off good player character relationships. So what you really want to do right. is say, Hey, let's put them in a place that will require them to bond and to grow together. Give me a, a good example of, of this, Nathaniel. Uh, you, you all meet in a tavern.
1: <laughs> you hate that setting. Don't even lie. I hate that <laughs> setting so much. And if you use it, it's fine. I guess I, I, I'd probably think less if you was a human being if I found out you were using it. <laughs> well, I that's just... savage. <laughs> I will
0: say this: Wizards of the Coast didn't use it uh, when they wrote the starter set for Fifth Edition. That adventure begins with the player characters on a wagon, already on the quest. This is a this is yes. a good, um, this is a good place to begin because you're not going to have the problem of like, oh, we're in a tavern. You're going to have that one friend who always wants to drink. Because right. he's living out his alcoholic right.
1: fantasies, I think. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I think I think we should clarify something there. Oh. We don't drink alcohol, and none of our, not none of our friends, very few of our friends drink alcohol. And so for us, yes, alcohol fantasy. For most people, no, they they just drink. There is no, no alcohol I said fantasy. alcoholic Unless you're playing with fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> most people don't pound ten lagers, my
0: guy. <laughs> That's just not a thing. <laughs> like so yeah everybody wants to be the, there's always the guy who wants to be the drunk dwarf right um, but by not starting it in the tavern and starting it on a wagon the quest is accepted there's nothing your, your player characters don't have the option to just say no to the quest in that first adventure um, and it gives right. you as the dungeon master a lot of room to work uh, and start growing those relationships instead of work on how to actually get them on a quest
1: right The other option that you can do that I am a huge fan of, think about where your campaign is taking place. Is it taking place in a big city, small town, something in between? Where are you setting it on? And then basically ask yourself and each player and actually go to the players and ask them, here's essentially the pitch for the adventure we're going to run. Why is your character invested in it? Why are you involved in it? And I find that that actually tends to bring some pretty good results for why people are doing what they're doing, and it helps inform you as the dungeon master of what to make sure to include in the adventures and campaign and helps inform them of what they need to be on the lookout right. for.
0: So that goes a little bit into into the training side of helping your, your characters yes. gel together. Um, because your players probably aren't going to do that naturally, and so helping them understand that like creating a backstory and having motivations is helpful to the dynamics of the relationships. Um, the other thing that you can train them on is to help them understand their character roles. So a cleric should be healing people. Yes. Even a nature cleric probably should not be focused on like Hail of Thorns and like Vine Whip. And That's a spell, right? Cleric, used um, Vine Whip.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's a Pokemon move. Razor Leaf, that's what it is.
0: Yes, Razor, Razor leaf. leaf. Razor Good.
1: Leaf, a razor leaf and uh, good and good leech brand. seed. <laughs>
0: right, Ah, right. uh, Venusaur is my good, good boy.
1: <laughs> no, but you're right. Clerics t- need to be aware that they're going to be expected to heal the party. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to do just that, but they need to expect. To yeah, do. it's whereas a wizard of their job? is going to be high level spell slinging and lots of lots of time reading the actual rule book as a wizard. Yeah. Uh, just if you want to get the best play out of them, mm-hmm. but a fighter is going to be your hack and slash, and your barbarian is going to be even more hack and slash. Right. Your bard is going to be your
0: social greaser. Your rogue is going to be your stealth buddy, um, and potentially social greaser. Yeah. Also, um, it just it just depends. So it, helping them understand that you know these character roles are designed around doing things like that will help you balance that campaign because what what you're not going to happen is a complaint that I've often had when you have, you know, a fighter and everything that a fighter can do is being done by the paladin or by the barbarian, um, that sucks or by the cleric. And it's like, okay, cool. There's nothing special about being a fighter. Right. And so helping people understand what roles they fit into and, and making that work really helps
1: absolutely absolutely and with that also i think it's important to have them understand how the different races fit in your campaign why are dwarves the way they are are dwarves your typical like engineering scotsmen that are in almost every fantasy world or are they something different in yours and help them understand that so they can react to situations appropriately the other thing unless you're dealing with very very experienced players
0: do not let players play races that are racist toward one another. (laughs) 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 That will cause problems. (laughs) Because eventually, because you can can see it already, like somebody's like, ah, stinky dwarf and proud elf. Man, well, at least my dad didn't leave me. And then it's just a mess from there because somebody makes some kind of personal comment and it just spiraled. I mean, obviously I was dramatic, right? But like, (laughs) right you don't want that that's that's the last thing you want um and so helping them understand uh races is important but also don't pit them against each other racially (laughs) too many too many people are too good at being racist already (laughs) we don't need them practicing on other real people
1: and while it can be fun to have the gimli legalist dynamic in a party where they learn to love each other uh maybe not a good thing to foster with people who are still learning how to do role-playing games yeah it's
0: it's an experienced player move i remember early in our in our campaign um one of our players and, and i had a similar dynamic to this and it just wasn't working well uh i it got to the point where like the dungeon master was like he was saying stuff like okay let's let's cut this off let's shut this down um, just because it wasn't working well, I think because we were both pretty inexperienced with the role-playing side of it, you know? Um, getting right. deep into, like, role-playing, like, real arguments and real fights and stuff, I I don't know. I don't even know. Like, again, it's a high-level move, and even then, I don't know that it's, like, the best move to pull. So
1: help facilitate tension, but don't facilitate, like, argument. Right. And one of the things you can do if you're up for it as the dungeon master to try this is that you can actually do what they do with Adventurer's League rules, uh, which is something that Wizards of the Coast supports. And it's basically, you go to a game store on a certain day of the week and you get to play D&D where people will teach you. And it's all free. And there's always people running the same adventure. There's like five or six DMs at any given time. They run the adventure for new people and experienced people. But what they'll do is anytime from levels one to four, You can just switch whatever you want between sessions about your character. You realize, oh, I don't want to be a fighter. I'll try a wizard now that I'm level 2. And you can just switch your character over to a wizard. Or you're like, yeah, I don't think uh, half-orc is working for me. I'm going to try dragonborn. Right. You're totally okay to do that. Anything you want that isn't like, oh, now I'm going to give him a 1,000 gold or whatever is totally kosher. Right. It's totally good. Right. And once they understand those
0: different roles of those characters, they can fit more comfortably because they've had experience with what they are and what they're not. Um, right. And and so that can be helpful with easing maybe something you accidentally created. <laughs> maybe you accidentally created a big right. argument or some, some deep tension. Um, the I think the most important thing out of all of this is just to have you, help your players understand that their role is to have fun not necessarily to be realistic because here's the thing if a group right. of people actually go into a dungeon by day three they're mentally unraveled and they're all screaming at each other like <laughs> yeah. unless yeah. these are professionals who have worked together right i like if just being real like the, uh, there's a great video game called darkest dungeon that actually explores this concept and it's just the fact that the stress of adventuring will wear you down and it will break you and so it's not super realistic. You don't, The goal of Dungeons & Dragons isn't to be realistic. It's not to, to portray that stress and that tension and that angst. It's to have everybody have fun. Um, and that doesn't inherently right. mean that you have to be like goofy with it, but it, it does mean that maybe if your conflicts in-game are causing conflicts out of game, maybe consider changing those and, and helping yeah. your players understand that they need to keep that separate.
1: Absolutely. Do you
0: want to go beg for Let's some stuff? Let's go beg. I'm, I'm there for it. Welcome to... The Beggar's Corner. Longtime listeners of the show. I know we have thousands of you out there. Well, oh, yeah. we'll thousands. thousands. Man, I just wish just for one day that the adoring fans would just like stop pawing at my door. Um <laughs> I I that's funny because I actually did have my roommate knock on my door earlier while we were trying to record this. Uh but yeah, for those who, you did. who are astute listeners and who who listen close, you'll know the beggar's corner is a part of the show where we we shamelessly plug toward you. Uh, how you can get in contact with us, give feedback about the show, how you can talk about it with your friends.
1: Uh, So let's start with getting in touch with us. Nathaniel, how can people do that? Well, they can do it in a myriad of ways. They can do it at our email or our blog, which are both initiativeroll at at gmail.com. I can speak, I promise. (laughs) Initiativeroll at gmail.com. Hey, don't feel bad. I think
0: think you've done this right like once. (laughs) We're
1: on, like, what, episode 20? <laughs> yeah,
0: we're, and we're actually getting pretty high up there.
1: Uh, Initiativeroll.blogspot.com is the other one. Mm-hmm. And then there are our two social media pages, which are initiative underscore role at Instagram and Twitter, respectively.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, those social media platforms are, are growing slowly but surely. Um, so definitely go ahead and, and follow us there on those as we, we expand and as we grow. Obviously, either of those is an awesome way to contact us, and we really appreciate hearing from you guys on what your thoughts are about the show. If you want us to to do something to shake it up, we'll, we're really early in the show. We've not been around for that long, like 20 episodes or something. We're pretty flexible. Um, <laughs> I, we're pretty open to whatever you guys are interested in hearing. We're, we'll, we'll do our best to lay it out for you. Um, so feel free, please, to get in contact. Uh, occasionally, we do Twitter polls, things like that uh which we'll be talking about a little later as we we've responded to the results of one of those polls and, and that's going to be a part of this episode so yeah that's yes it is that's the best ways to get in contact with us see what we're up to um right now i would say if you want just kind of the generic best scoop the instagram page is probably the best way to get it
1: uh, that's where we post like additional visual
0: aids to some of the shows like you
1: say something controversial to make it happen no oh
0: gosh no please no i told you people are already racist enough <laughs> oh man <laughs> by the way if you're listening to this and you're a racist please just stop thank you psa don't have time for it
1: and on right, that note let's talk about a man
0: <laughs> who was 10 races simultaneously huh how's that for a segue uh well, it was actually 11 during True. the original run. He it was human. expanded. Yeah, I think by the he time we human. got to Ultimate Alien, he was like 9,000 or something? Uh, 10,000. Yeah,
1: but um, that's right. Ben 10,000 was an episode of Ben 10. <laughs> and if you haven't caught on, we're talking about Benjamin Tennyson nah. from the hit series Ben 10. Benji. Benji. Uh, this is one of the few children's shows that I've ever actually seen every episode of. Now I am only referring to the original run of the show. I'm not talking about any of the sequel series or anything like that. Ben Ten Alien but... Force.
0: Ben Ten Ultimate Alien. Ben Ten Aliens in Puberty was the fourth one, I think.
1: No, I think it was Universe or something. <sighs> yeah.
0: Astute listeners will hear the click clack of my keyboard. Ben Ten. It- Ben 10 Omniverse, and then Ben 10 Omniverse. Reboot 2016 to present? What? Huh.
1: Guess that's a thing.
0: It was renewed for a fourth season, slated to debu- debut in 2020, so it's going.
1: Huh. Anyway, uh, this was uh,
0: this was your choice, Nathaniel. You really wanted to... Yeah. to do this.
1: So, yeah, so it's not like Ben 10 is my favorite character of all time or anything, but I I love the show. Like, my wife, if she were on the episode today, she could attest to the fact that not too long ago I had her watch with me the first episode of Ben 10. Uh, I just, I enjoyed the show. It's, you know, it's something that I like. And I was always kind of inspired by the idea of this character who, for those of you who don't know what he can do, his superpower, I guess, is that he has a magic watch or a technology. A marvel of technology from an alien race. The Omnitrix, him, please. The, I'm sorry. The Omnitrix that lets him turn into various alien races. And in the original run of the show, it was only ten races, but there were over ten thousand races stored within the Omnitrix that right. eventually he could unlock, in theory. And each one had different abilities. There was one who just, you know, made him into a guy that was uh, basically on fire and could shoot fire from his hands and whatnot. What was his name again? Uh, Heat, Heat Blast. Blast. Yeah. There was there was another guy who was uh, basically made of crystal and could shoot crystals out of his hands. Diamond, diamond Head, type. please. Uh, there was another guy who was essentially part machine, part uh, lizard, and just could move really fast on his wheel feet.
0: XLR8, the best name.
1: Right. Uh, there Go on, hit me up with another description. I got these all. There was, there was a ghostly figure. Ghost Freak. Mm-hmm. That was mm,
0: Ghost mm. Freaks cool. There was a, a bug cool. called Stinkfly. There was an alien with four arms called Four Arms. There was Are a you big, just looking at
1: like the Wikipedia page? Don't even
0: play. You know I know these by heart. I am looking at the Wikipedia page for the reboot, which sounds awesome. Um, actually, it's not been received super well, but I will say, uh, <laughs> Tara Strong does reprise her role as Ben Tennyson. We all know Tara Strong huh. is the most talented voice actress. She also... No argument. She does not return to voice Gwen, though, which she did in the original. Oh, yeah. interesting. But here's the best part. Guess who voices Vilgax, the antagonist? You won't guess. Tim Curry. It's, it's Yuri Lowenthal. You're going to have to help me out. He did the voice acting for Spider-Man in 2018's PlayStation hit game Spider-Man, oh. and he did a great job. So I'm into it. I'm into the cast. It looks really good. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, he uh, he definitely, as a kid, as I watched Ben 10, it expanded, to my mind, the ability to bring different types of creatures and different types of settings into one whole, which is kind of the theme of Dungeons <laughs> & Dragons, right? I, yo, yes. Drake!
1: Drake Bell is in this! <laughs> oh, man, this cast. I love that you're making this, like, you know, semi, like, Like passionate plug about D&D and then all of a sudden you're like,
0: Drake Bell! Yo, Greg Sipes is the voice of Kevin Levin. Those who aren't familiar with him... I don't
1: know who that is! He
0: is the voice of Beast Boy in the original run of Teen Titans. Ah, Come at me. Okay. He's he's also... Yes. Sorry, I know my animated voice actors, alright? Yeah, you do. You know who Drake Bell is, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. He was Josh on Drake and Josh. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's the one. Nailed it. I ain't calling you a truther though. Not on that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, but fans, I... that was an easy joke.
1: <laughs> um, I, I have always really appreciated Ben Ten. I liked the idea that he would have to, that he had this incredible range of powers and abilities, but he always had to pick what he was going to use for that situation. He right. couldn't use them all. He couldn't easily switch between them. Uh, otherwise, he would have been way more powerful than he was. He had to choose one alien. For one mission,
0: and to and expand the Dungeons and Dragons implications, when things would go wrong was when the show was most interesting. His omnitrix yes. would just randomly turn off sometimes, and he'd be a kid <laughs> next to some giant aliens,
1: right? It was like so that great. happened so great. So yeah, or worse, I... like or, or worse than the aliens, because you know the aliens are never going to get the kid next right. to like some government officials or you know the evil. Oh, what were they called? The Knights, uh, the the Time Knights, or whatever. Please hold. They are in the reboot. Wait for. It. What, what were they called? Don't leave me hanging here. Um, the Forever Knights. Oh yes, the Forever Knights. That is right. I knew it had something to do with time. Listeners, if you haven't seen Ben Ten, I'm not saying go watch it, but definitely like go do a Google search and, and learn some of the lore. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, the
0: new season run is on Netflix, so there goes my whole week. (laughs) That reboot is on Netflix, boys and girls. Other media, Ben 10 Challenge. It's a live-action game show produced in Spain. (laughs) What? (laughs) It follows two teams of people who compete in challenges and get tested on their Ben 10 knowledge. How do we get me on this show?
1: Dude, you didn't even know the name of the Forever Knights without Googling
0: I'm it. ready. Yo, I'll study up. Don't think... Look, just because I feel like you're blasting me for my third grade knowledgeable skills, which was not awesome. I promise. I'll actually study for this one. Y'all can catch me on the next season of Ben 10 Challenge.
1: I wouldn't make promises you can't keep, Mr.
0: Parker. <laughs> Who said anything about promises? <laughs> This is a promise to myself. It's a promise to the listeners. This is a promise. And I can keep it. Thank you. Catch me on Ben 10 Challenge 2019. It does appear the show has canceled. Hmm. Catch me on the reboot of Ben 10 Challenge. <laughs> My parents taught me I could do anything. Anyway, this one's to Ben 10, right? We're drifting to ben 10. off the track. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for sticking with us during that brief break there. I am closing out of the Ben 10 2016 TV series wiki page just so we can stay proud on of track here. <laughs> you should be. You should be. Uh, but we will be going a little deeper into some other lore, not Ben 10, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about the quieting campaign in the Bard Corner.
1: Oh, the Bard Corner. Ooh. Yeah, so we, I, we have two segments here, right? uh yeah i mean there's a third one kind of sort of in there but neither of our characters were there for that so i don't think either of us paid that much attention to it
0: yeah so for those who maybe are coming with us for the first time one of the things we like to do on the show is is recap whatever dungeons and dragons we're playing um and maybe talk about what went super well and and what didn't uh not to kick off like as a roast but uh yeah we did split the party again We don't split it three ways, four ways, technically. Yeah, dungeon masters, if you can. Don't split the party. Uh but this one actually went fairly well, and
1: and since most of the I thought p- it was actually really good it, in
0: this case. Yeah, for for those of us who maybe are a little more experienced, like you and I, Nathaniel, who weren't playing most of the time, um, mm-hmm. that actually wasn't that big of a deal. So, yeah, I think it I think it went fairly well for the most part. But yeah, speaking generally, don't split the party. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there yeah. there was a certain element to this where they needed to go in and, and break some slaves out of the underbelly of a coliseum, and they needed a distraction. Uh, so I guess I'll start with Excellence, my character, the bard, uh, what he did, and that was to, sn- I, sh- I say sneak, that was to walk into the coliseum and create a distraction. No, wait, Excellence didn't walk in. Who walked in? Oh, yeah, that'd be Trace Firestone. You know? You know me,
1: teen heartthrob uh, Trace Firestone. Come on, uh, it says you're not on. You're not on the list. Tr-
0: I'm Trace Firestone, the bassist for the band, Fervana. Probably recognize our spirit uh, or our hit single, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" animal. So that's the role I played. <laughs> uh,
1: nope. <laughs> that that was that was how you got into the Coliseum. Yeah, so
0: I had to obviously roll a deception check, although I think I, I don't think that's a fair check, because I'm pretty sure that my character excellence is a hundred percent convinced that he is Trace Firestone at that moment. Fair I don't enough. think he's trying to lie, I think he's convinced himself. <laughs>
1: dude could fool a
0: polygraph anyway i I did have to make a deception check uh no advantage or anything straight up and down did roll a nat 20 uh which came out to be a 29 just given excellence's stats at atm so he got in there without trouble and he did kick up a concert uh this was i think where where for me things lagged a little bit uh i did spend most of the time while everybody else was questing (laughs) coming up with comical names for songs like smells like teen spirit animal Um, And I was accompanied by a band member who would play, quote-unquote, second fiddle, and uh, he was part of the actual band who was supposed to be performing that night.
1: So I went with him, and and we made a pretty big distraction out there on the stage. Now, part of the importance of this distraction is you were distracting the governor of the town uh, and the three senators who were visiting to do inspections. And the
0: governor's wife. I did charm all of them. And
1: the governor's wife.
0: Uh, with my enthralling yes, performance. So that was essentially my whole role in this adventure. I was rewarded very generously uh, from an experience standpoint on that. Uh, I did have a merch table set up <laughs> for my character. Uh, and also got some gold from that. So that was essentially how we justified my character not fighting or doing anything. Uh, a humorous anecdote relating to, related to that. At the start of this adventure, I've been level 3 for some time, and I realized that I had not given myself hit points for leveling up from level 2 to 3, which just tells you how long, how often my character is involved in, in combat. Um, but that's essentially how things shook out. You know, play a character, do the show, do the job, while everybody else is doing the smash and grab beneath the coliseum.
1: Now, speaking of the merch you made, we do have, I believe, a picture on the Instagram page that is of a t-shirt. That maybe one day Somebody can you know Make for us on a Patreon (laughs) That says I know some I saw someone who knows Excellence the Bard Yeah so that was Essentially what
0: Arsenal killed the arena star by the muggles. Um and, man, that's maybe my favorite one I came up with. And I I did shout out my actual character, Excellence the Bard. So despite the fact that I was Trace Firestone, bassist for Fervana, I did <laughs> I did shout out my actual character. And then I ended that concert by casting Fly from my Magic Mandolin and Flying Away. Uh, which apparently was a, a borderline spiritual experience for some of the people down below. So we'll see how that shakes out. But yeah, we'll... Yeah, we will. We'll post an example of some merch that one of our players put together uh, mid-game. So that that was yes. that recap, which for me is, is fun and fine, and I think that really plays into knowing your characters, right? I, Greg knows that I just want to play a diva, essentially. Like, the more stylish <laughs> my character can be, the more I like it.
1: The happier you are. <laughs> Correct. Correct. No, I think you're completely right. One of the things that I think uh, is great about that is he actually, talking to him afterwards, he tried to do something like that for everyone. Yes, he did. And I
0: think you did a really good job. Uh do, too. Understanding where your players are. I mean, my favorite instance of this was he did just let one of our players sleep on the couch. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, yeah, he did. just made that work, which was awesome uh, because it was super awesome. He literally, I think he tried to give give everybody a little bit of something that they would appreciate, uh, including you, Nathaniel. So
1: let's talk a little bit about what Fear Did by John Green, Ooh. the hit novel. This is, this is, this is a story. I, I think this might've been one of the most fun experiences I've ever had playing D&D. Okay. Um. At least as a player, not as a DM. Um, there might be some moments as a DM that top this, but as a player, I don't think it's ever been better than this for me. So, I've I've said before, I'm sure, on the show, that I think wizards are the most powerful class, but they come with some inherent deficiencies. And the biggest deficiency is that they have to know in advance what they're going to be facing, and so they can pick the right spells for that encounter. Right. Otherwise... They're going to have all the wrong spells ready to go, and they'll be worthless. Right, And I mean, not worthless, but you get the idea. And so we knew in advance that we were going to the Colosseum. So I have these spell cards so I could just look at these spells rapidly and go, okay, I want this one, I don't want this one. And I just spent most of the planning time that we spent just picking my spells for the day. And I was super deliberate and super careful with what I picked. And so we go, as the whole rest of the group, underneath the Colosseum, and I start casting Prestidigitation on the wall to make glowing arrows. Because what we're going to do is we're going to free prisoners under the Colosseum. And they're going to have to get back without us, necessarily, because we're probably going to be fighting. Right. Now, what we know is there's going to be a pinch point up ahead that we can hold off the guards at. But we need to get the prisoners out, too. So I'm also setting alarms as a spell. Because apparently I can cast it as a ritual spell, and there's no limit to how many alarms I can cast. So every time I put an arrow up on the wall, I'm casting an alarm with it so that I know if any of the soldiers come that way. So we get there, there's a couple of guards, and the first thing I do on my turn is I cast Alter Self on myself and I make myself look just like the governor. Which means I also sound just like the governor because of how the spell works. And... On my next turn, I use my favorite spell for my character, Message, to message into their minds that they need to go protect the senators and this is just a diversion. And, like, half of them leave right then and there. Right. But not all of them, so we're concerned. At the same time, though, I hear those alarms the other way start tripping. And one of the guards shouts at me as the governor to get out of here, so I go back the way we came to go confront these other soldiers. Right. And I don't ask critical information of Greg, and he doesn't give it. Um, by the way, Greg has asked for feedback on what he could have done better, and this might have been it. But at the same time, I'm not sure I would have done what I'm about oh, to yeah, say no. that I did. It, The, the <laughs> way that this whole thing shakes
0: out is c- contingent upon you not having the critical information. Namely, how many guards there were. <laughs> And we'll get to that in a second. So we were playing theater of the mind. So rather than have, you know, X amount of
1: guard tokens,
0: you just say there are some guards, right?
1: Right. Coming this way. And I'm, I look like the governor. I sound like the governor for all intents and purposes. I am the governor. And I tell them that everything going on back there is being taken care of and they need to get me to safety. So they do. Right. Right. So they do. And now I'm thinking to myself, okay, they're taking me to some sort of safe house. I need to get away from them because this spell's going to end in like little less than an hour. And I say to Greg, hey, Greg, how many of these guys are there? And he's like, oh, about 30, <laughs> which is not a few. That is not what you want to hear. Like, I have to think about it in terms of a mat. I don't know if I told you this yet, Logan, but uh, if you put me in the center point... And then you go in the next ring of squares around me. There's eight squares that fit around a five-foot square. So there's eight soldiers. And then the next ring is 16 soldiers. So going two full rings out of, of bodies, there are 24 soldiers. That leaves an extra six right. to start making a it's third a ring around yeah, this there's, governor. There's no, there's no sur- Ring around the governor is my favorite
0: children's game, first of all. Second of all, there's no governor. This is
1: the dumbest thing fear I think has ever done. I think it is, too. And I think he also pulled off the next steps with a lot of aplomb. Now, I didn't get to play again for like an hour because we had to handle what was going on with the prisoners. And I just told Greg, Greg, we'll just do all of my turns at once when when you finish up everybody else. And he said, okay, sure. And so I just sat there planning because I think it's fair to think that I would have had some time walking through the city with these guards for fear to come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't really know what happened underneath the Coliseum. I think one of our players who's been doing gladiator work met a bunch of other gladiators. Some tried to stop us, some tried to help us. Um, but overall, we got all the prisoners out, is what I understand. Right. Um, other than that, I really don't know what was going on. Oh, no, wait. There was one moment where our where our gnome rogue was using his uh, boots of spider climb <laughs> and trying to sneak across the ceiling. And he rolled a nat 1 while doing this and so the whole battle stopped for just a second as everyone saw him walk on the ceiling right it was just a good moment um but not a ton to report there so going back though go ahead i was gonna say so as you made this
0: uh escape with your your character and as as we had these these great moments what do you think the takeaway is for for (laughs) dungeon masters listening along?
1: um hmm the takeaway i'd say is i don't i don't actually know that there's a takeaway on
0: this so far i think it's just a fun story i mean i think that's maybe the takeaway though is like the flexibility of greg is another great john green novel <laughs> <laughs> man no. i know it's
1: oh <laughs> flex- i do not want to read that book <laughs> Do you know what John Green writes? Because it's not what you're implying.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is the guy. He does have a book called An Abundance of Catherines. So the flexibility of Greg does sound like something he would put out. Fair um, enough. But yeah, no. I, the flexibility of Greg as the dungeon master, I think, is really what shines here. His ability to, uh, to manage so many different campaigns essentially campaigns and adventures at the same time that he was almost certainly not planning uh, I think worked really well. The timing obviously probably could have been improved but where it was me just chilling, drinking Dr. Pepper and like looking at 80s music that I could spoof (laughs) to make Dungeons & Dragons songs um, Right. I don't think it was that big of a deal
1: I think it worked out really well. So I think that's the takeaway is the
0: flexibility
1: Yeah, Uh, so I think we need to finish up what happened to Fear though because I think this is where it really shines what a wizard can do. Indeed. So I'm disguised as the governor, walking through the city, and they're starting to take me to the North Keep, which those of you who've been listening to the show will remember that last session was we stormed the North Keep. And I, sa- I just stopped the captain of the garden, and I'm like, we can't go there. That was just attacked a week ago, presumably by the same people who are attacking the Colosseum right now. You've got to take me somewhere safer. And the captain kind of blusters for a second, and he's like, I don't know, where do you want me to take you, sir? And I just, I I lose my temper, quote-unquote, at him, and I'm like, my job is to run the city and keep its citizens safe. Your job is to keep me safe. Now figure something out, which I think was definitely the right call. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And so he starts leading me towards the central police station and I just think to myself, no, 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 this is going from bad to worse. (laughs) Because now I'm going to be surrounded by even more guards. And my spell's going to run out. I have to get out of here. So I stop him again and I say, there's got to be somewhere less public you can take me. And Greg does this thing. I don't know if this was planned beforehand or if he came up with it on the fly, but he's like, sir, you said never to show anyone that location. And I'm like, ooh, this sounds like good stuff. Right. (laughs) And so I pretend to deliberate for a second. And I say, which one of you looks the most like me? In reference to all the guards. And they shove some guy to the front who kind of looks like the governor. I'm like, great, you're now a decoy. Everyone take him to the the police station, essentially. And, Captain, you and one other guard, you're going to come with me to the secret place. And so we go across town, the three of us. And then we go into the sewers and we start going somewhere, and I realize, they're humans, I'm a tiefling, their only source of light is a torch. And prestidigitation says I can snuff out torches. So I cast prestidigitation, followed immediately by rope trick, which lets me create an extra-dimensional space at the top of the sewer that I can climb up a rope to, and then pull the rope in after me so it looks like I've disappeared. By the time they get their torch lit again, it looks like the governor has just disappeared in the sewer. And I just chill for the next hour, waiting there. So I managed to get 30 soldiers off of the party's back and escape from right under their noses. And I think that was pretty cool. Yeah. Again, the flexibility and, and the lack of realism here, I think, is what's critical.
0: Um, you know, you pulled a pretty big con <laughs> on these guards. And yeah, there were deception checks involved, but Greg was pretty flexible in letting you do this. Whereas, like, IRL, like, if the governor starts acting weird, the guards are like, nah, we got protocol, man. Like... You know? <laughs> yeah. Like something, especially super. especially in a world of magic. Right? Especially. so, um, But it was fun. It was super fun. Right. Yeah, no, and I think it, it worked out really, really well. Okay, well, Nathaniel, there's only really one more thing yeah. we have in this show, and that is the new segment that we've been teasing for weeks, the Cartographer's yes. Corner. Uh, so when we were prepping for the live play, we got a lot of really good feedback about You know, people who enjoyed listening to that kind of preparation. And so as part of the show, we're trying to introduce this new idea uh, where we plan adventures and we kind of walk through them and talk through them and and how they can be played. We did a Twitter poll about this, uh, whether we should do goblins, undead, or dragons. And for the longest time, that was split three ways. It did end up being dragons, but we planned it around undead, dragons, and goblins. Uh, So all three. Um, So obviously, this is a new kind of thing we're trying out here your feedback is most important to us while we do this uh let us know what you think about some of the things we've planned and and hopefully uh those of you who out there who are dungeon masters will get a chance to test some of this out yeah
1: now the assumption here is that we are building dungeons either for new dms or new players or both it's not supposed to be your super highbrow oh i've been playing the game for 30 years because at that point i mean you, you probably don't need the dungeons we're making But this will be completely free to anybody who wants to use it. Uh, Maybe one day we'll have a Patreon for things like this, but I kind of doubt that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about that.
0: If anything, we've we've talked a little bit about this. If we were to ever go Patreon, we'd probably just have, like, our sessions making these kind of things (laughs) be available so people can get a little bit more view of the process. But let's talk about the adventure uh, that you made mostly, Nathaniel, if we're going to be honest Uh, here. (laughs) Uh, I've, I've got it pulled up in front
1: of me, uh, and, and, you should have it in front of you. Let's talk a little bit about what this so is. I'm this. calling this, for now, I'm calling it the Lair of the Dracolidge, which, anybody who knows anything about that is gonna be like, wait, this is not a level one adventure. It totally is, I promise, and you'll see how it is in a bit, but most of the encounters are goblins. So, super easy to run as a DM, mm-hmm. super fun to play against as players. With that said, I've, I've already kind of lied, the first encounter is right. a bugbear, and we, which is a great way for players to just test their metal one v four essentially so it's four players is what it's intended for versus one creature it's a good way for players to get their toes wet and figure out what they're doing with the game and right
0: it it's a good starting encounter because there's right. only one creature right this is also a great time if you know your pugbear rolls a critical hit that's going to take out your fighter in your party and they're all new players. Yep. It's a great time to fudge numbers. You know? And and the stakes are relatively low in your first encounter. Um that that should make it really easy to introduce <laughs> new players to the game. Um now Nathaniel you've paired this encounter um and, and kind of segmented all of the encounters into three main sections. Uh, so the bugbear is part yes, of the, three levels, if yeah, you will. The bugbear is part of that first level. Uh in addition with the second room, which has goblins in it, is that right?
1: Yeah, just four goblins, another simple encounter, but something that they can potentially sneak up on them and maybe deal some extra damage before the goblins get to know about it. And they can plan for that room, they can listen at the door, things like that. It's something that I feel like has kind of been lost in 5th edition the concept of stopping at a door, listening, checking out your surroundings, and then going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so there's a chance to do that if you're interested. Now, there's a lot of adjacent rooms here. They're all basically living areas and what I call story-only areas. This is where, like, tapestries might be if you want them, or paintings, or, you know, text scrawled on the wall. They're not anything in this room. It's just to make the dungeon feel real. Right. You'll see this happen in video games all the time, where there's just empty room upon empty room when you go through a big building. Hmm.
0: Yes, it is something you see in video games often. I think it works a little better what? in jun- Dungeons & Dragons. IMO, it's maybe not the best video game design. But, sure. but no, I see what you mean. I, oh, well, actually, in, a, in some character action games, like Uncharted, for example, this actually works fairly well.
1: So, right, because typically there'll just be lots of scenery and background to help you get a feel for. This is a real place. Yeah, yeah and it gives your, your setting
0: a, a room to breathe. I, I've changed my position on this. It gives your setting room to breathe. If every five feet there's a monster or an item or a chest, you're, your setting can feel a little cramped. You can also use story-only areas to heighten the tension and to say things like, You think you hear something.
1: Right. The other thing that we have is we've got something built into this dungeon that if your players are ever taking too long in an area or taking too many short rests and there's no danger... We have a wandering monster that comes through here. And what it is, it's just a goblin boss and a goblin. Not too difficult, but enough to keep the players on their toes. And the rule we're writing in with it is that every hour the players spend in the dungeon, not real life hour, but in-game hour, you roll a d6. And on anything but a 6, this wandering group shows up. They're like a patrol group, and they wander inside and outside of the dungeon. Right. Now... If your players take a short rest, that means you roll that die twice. Now, we only have the wandering group set up to show up once, so if they show up and dispatch it, then it's done. You don't roll the die anymore. But it basically means that if the players take a short rest inside of the dungeon, they're going to run into this wandering group. Right. And so it is an optional rule. You can just choose to scrap it if you feel like it's not good for your players, but it's there if they're taking too long or arguing about things or whatever. Right.
0: So they have, uh, after the, that story and Living Area, they'll go in and they'll fight some goblins in here. Um, just again, another f- uh, 4v4 encounter there. But easy enough that they will they should be able to dispatch the goblins without trouble. Uh, this will be one of the harder encounters in the level, in the whole dungeon. Yes. Um,
1: yes, it will be.
0: But it's good because it gives your players an example. I mean, the bugbear should be fairly easy to dispatch with four players on it. Um The four goblins
1: teaches them what the game is a little more like when a a harder encounter comes around. Right. And now with that, anytime in this dungeon there's just one creature, and I assume we'll do this in future dungeons, anytime there's just one creature, we're going to put an optional rule in there that under certain conditions they get an automatic extra reaction that comes during some other player's turn. So, oh, the bugbear drops to five health, it it gets to take a turn right now. Right. You know, things like that. Well, we'll put some optional rules in there, just because it can make the game way more fun when they're dynamic like that. Right. With that said, the dungeon's actually almost over, as crazy as that is. There is a unfinished cave area that basically comes next. Technically, there's a the hallway between the goblins and the cave area, but that's just another story area for you to do what you want with it. Then there's this cave, and in the cave, hanging from the ceiling, are two dark mantles, which are really cool creatures that basically are like land octopuses octopi okay octopi yo octopuses
0: or octopies oh man they are like the opposite of the dolphin they are the sea's least majestic creature and so the thought of one being in a dungeon or from the ceiling or maybe in a tree for those of you who took eighth grade english anywhere in the state of utah and maybe anywhere in the world you know, about the North American tree octopus. Uh, that's right, I forgot that's about that. That's the worst thing. Uh, the thought of that is horrifying to me. So these dark mantles are really cool. They can also cast a darkness, right, as a spell?
1: Has yes, it- it's a very limited. It's only like 10 feet of darkness, but I mean, it's it's 10 feet of darkness. Yeah, they're creepy. They're fun. But they're fairly easy to and dispatch. And when- Right. The big danger is that when they're hanging from the ceiling or sitting on the floor, they are indistinguishable from a stalactite or stalagmite. Right. So, in an so un- the players case... don't have any way to detect them until they attack. Right. Uh,
0: I think somebody with a high perception check might be able to do it, right? No. Really? Indistinguishable? they Yeah, that's what the
1: monster manual says. Dang, that's wild. Okay, cool. Yeah. So... Um... That being said, at some point in the cave, there is a branch that goes two ways. One room leads to a secret room. One branch, I mean, leads to a secret room with some just treasure, maybe a magic item. You can stock it with what you want. We'll have some suggestions in there. And then the other one leads to the door right before the draculich's chamber. And all this encounter has is a goblin sorcerer, who we'll include the statistics for, and his uh, familiar pseudo-dragon. Should be, again, a relatively easy encounter, but, you know, show the players that monsters can have magic.
0: Right. Yeah, the, the benefit to kind of what you set up here is you've given a, a strong monster at the beginning, a, a mm-hmm. pack for your second one, two dark mantles, so like kind of a weird monster, break the mold a little bit, and then show that they can use... Slash a surprise. Right. And then show that they can use magic. It's a good blend of all the elements of combat in Dungeons and & Dragons. And then we go to the
1: boss right. monster, which is the final element. So this you did a Dracula. Right. Right. Now, well, uh, there's a lot of lore in 5th edition with that. We will include that in the adventure if you're interested, but suffice to say, it's just an undead version of a dragon. Mm -hmm. And the benefit of a Dracolich is that it can only be killed
0: by destroying the item it's bound to. So if you want, you can use this same Dracolich as it ages and matures with the players to be a recurring because just killing its physical
1: form won't kill the the dragon. Right. And that's something I'm really excited about. So they... Defeat this Dracolich, which only is going to have, like, 16 health. So it's going to only last a few rounds. They kill it. It could knock out a player. It could knock out a player. Not. Um, But it's not going to, necessarily. It's going to last one or two rounds. It's going to have a Breath Weapon. It's going to be a Skeletal Dragon. It's going to be really cool. And then they're going to kill it, and its soul is going to go back to wherever this magic artifact is. And if you're interested as a DM, when they're level 5 or level 10 this dracolich can show back up in an adult body instead of a wormling body, and be that same Drac- dracolich mm. and have a grudge against the players.
0: Right. So it's, I mean, with the design here, what you've done, Nathaniel, you've essentially created like a really basic sampler tray of everything that Dungeons and Dragons has to offer, with the option to expand it if they want. Right. Uh, so this adventure is intended for four players. Right. There will be expansion options for five six players yeah um written into the adventure when we post it um but keep your eyes peeled for this one we we had a pretty good time creating it so definitely as as you see some of the materials come out and and hear hear this part of the podcast we'd love to hear your feedback on this because it was i i mean i didn't have the biggest hand in in this part i did help with the ancestry table we alluded to last time yes Uh, which is which is
1: going to be made available here soon we do have it done hmm That's finished. Uh, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled for this kind of thing,
0: and, and we'd love to hear your feedback on it. Um, obviously, we're uh, we're forging new ground here for our show. So, But ultimately,
1: this is a sampler. A great adventure, I think, to to get people into this. And we will be doing future ju- dungeons for level 2. Is the next dungeon we're going to make. So if you have any suggestions for that before we make the official Twitter poll, go ahead and send those to any of our social media or email or blog sites and we'll take a look at those and think about including them on the poll yeah absolutely uh we'd like to thank those who have been tweeting about
0: our show yes so let me pull up our twitter i want to get his actual username right here um we we did have somebody tweeting about the show we have as always the intrepid sean mcneely uh tweeting about our show i really appreciate his his input uh, we also have, please hold. I don't want to butcher his name. We do have Kyle Quigley on Twitter, tweeting about our show as well. Uh, he had uh, things to say about the the women's episode, Women's Day episode we just did. So we really appreciate his input. We appreciate his listening. Uh, for those of you who want to tweet about the show, uh, you can tweet at us at initiative underscore role on Twitter. Uh, you can also contact us with the hashtag initiative role R O L E. Uh, that's a little harder to monitor, so. If you really want to get in touch with us, be sure to tag us, but we always appreciate that that
1: contact. Yes, we do. Well, I think it's just about time to wrap up this show for the day. But do you hear that? Do I hear what? It It sounds like bones scraping together one against the other. Almost as if something large and unwieldy is walking towards you. Okay, wait, hold on, hold on. You've essentially warned them
0: that this encounter is coming. Part of the, part of the great part of the closeout is that we, they don't know it's coming. All of a sudden, there's bones scraping. Not like, all right, let's end this. There's bones. Come on. Amateur hour. Let's, all right, let's, let's roll this back. So there's bones scraping. Whatever, I'm done. I'm done. There's bones scraping.
1: <laughs> Some lumbering beast? You catch a faint, a faint whiff of sulfur on the air—a perfume. (laughs) You spin.
0: Your noir character says, "Daphne, what are you doing here?"
1: She needs you to solve a murder. And you realize Daphne is a skeleton. (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) it's gone too far. We're in too deep. (laughs) Cause bones scraping together. No, no, we're not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got it. I got it. There's a skeleton.
0: Gosh, I'm so confused right now.
1: (laughs) Well, put it together. Put it together, Mr. Noir Detective. (laughs) True. There's bones scraping together. There's a faint smell of sulfur. Is this some kind of, like, volcano? Undead Shrek? It's a dracolich. Ah, yeah. I should have seen that coming. And you realize it's It's time time to roll roll initiative. initiative.
0: Catch me on Ben 10 Challenge new season. Bye.